Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. This afternoon I want to ask you, because you also are coming from many nations and many uh, areas of the world, have you ever introduced your country to someone that you've met for the first time? someone that knows pretty much nothing else about your country except they've heard the name before. Sometimes by their questions, they reveal how little they really know about your country. You know, they'll ask you a question like, well, what time is it over there right now? Oh, you mean which of the four time zones that we have in our country do you mean, right? Or what language do you speak over there? Well, just in my province, there's at least 16 languages that are like a majority language. Um, I get asked, where Denmark is when I say I'm from Denmark. Oh, is that the capital of Sweden? <laughs> Funnily enough, when I say, no, it's, in, uh, it's its own country, uh, it's up in the north. Oh, do you speak Dutch? <laughs> I do, actually. <laughs> but I have to tell them it has nothing to do with the fact that I'm Danish, um, that I am a jelly-filled donut. Well, some of you don't know that uh, jelly-filled donut in the United States is called a Danish. Um, other places it's called a Berliner. But anyway, have you ever spoken to someone, explained to them your country, and at the end of your conversation actually convinced them that they now want to be a citizen of your country? Do you ever talk about it that much and share about all the wonderful things in your country? Or do you tend to talk about some of those things that just aren't so nice about your country? Whether it's high taxes, or the weather's bad, or it's too hot, or it's too cold, or whatever. At the end of your conversation, do they feel like, you know what, since you're a citizen of that country and you've just described it, I wanna be a citizen of that country. If you think about it, you and I as Christians are ambassadors, ambassadors of the King of Heaven. We're citizens, of course, then of a completely different kingdom than most of the people that we meet. And when they meet us, and perhaps maybe even ask some questions about the king that we serve and the kingdom we're part of, by the end of the conversation, do they want to be a citizen of that kingdom? We need to remember that the kingdom of heaven is introduced to others through its own citizens. We talked about this last week through the parables, that people hear about the kingdom of heaven through its own citizens, and that's you and me. As we tell people about all the things that we believe about the king whom we serve, hopefully by the end of the conversation, or at least for many several conversations, they'll say, you know what, I wanna be a citizen of the kingdom you're a part of. Because your kingdom is much better than the kingdom that I'm a part of. Well, today we're going to learn from four of Jesus' parables, parables that he taught his disciples. Essentially, they're just two truths about the kingdom of God that Jesus is revealing. Two of the parables speak of one truth, and the other two speak of another. You'll find them in Matthew chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 31. You can turn in your Bibles, which I hope you bring each week, to Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 31, where we look at the parable of the mustard seed and of the yeast first. Later on, we'll look at a parable of the pearl of great price, the hidden treasure. 
Verse 31 of Matthew chapter 13. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. And Jesus stops there. He doesn't explain this parable. In fact, the parables we're going to look at today have no explanation or interpretation from our Lord himself. And so sometimes the interpretations can vary. Hopefully today we'll arrive at the one true interpretation, right? I hope. But so the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, Jesus says, that a man sowed in his field. And though it is the smallest of seeds, it grows to be very large. Now, in the ancient world, the mustard seed was the smallest known seed. It wouldn't make sense to Jesus' listeners if he was technically correct to say that the, or or the orchid seed is the smallest of all seeds. They wouldn't know what an orchid is. So the mustard seed then also became a proverbial saying of smallness. And it grows to be one of the larger plants in a garden, sometimes 10 feet, sometimes 12 feet, sometimes even 15 feet high. But it is large enough for birds to build their nests in the branches. And so you would expect that if God is the king of heaven, the creator of the universe, the greatest among all, that his kingdom would be large. But Jesus tells in his parable that it begins small. Now, is there any significance to the birds nesting in the branches? Well, some would say that elsewhere in the Bible, birds are representatives or symbols of evil. Does he then mean that when the kingdom grows very large, that there will be evil forces taking advantage of its shelter and its seeds? Well, let me remind you that before we try to make every element of this parable symbolize something, not all the symbols in scriptures and their metaphors always have the same meaning. Let me give you an example, a lion. The Messiah is the lion of Judah. But we also know that the devil prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. Or the metaphor of sheep. We have Jesus' words that we are his sheep, his own people. And yet he also speaks of the lost as sheep. So again, not all metaphors, not all symbols are uniform throughout the scriptures. Symbols are used to explain the truths that are better understood through the symbols and metaphors, but you always have to consider the particular context. And in this context, Jesus is sharing a parable about what may seem small and, and insignificant, but eventually becomes large and influential, as we'll see in this next parable that he's going to give. I think the only significance to the birds that Jesus mentions in this parable is to emphasize the difference in size. Because birds eat seeds, but when the mustard seed grows to its full height, the birds now build nests and dwell in these trees. So the kingdom of heaven in God's plan will begin as something very small, but don't mistake it for being insignificant in this world. Look at verse 33, a parable very similar. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. There it is. Also no explanation, no interpretation. But that it is like leaven or yeast. A woman mixes a small amount into a large amount of meal, 
And though the leaven begins as a small amount, eventually it leavens the whole loaf. Again, the people would have expected the kingdom to have worldwide influence, but not necessarily that it would start so insignificantly. Some would interpret again that leaven in other places in the Bible have to do with evil. The Israelites, before the Passover, were supposed to purge their homes of leaven. And if they had any yeast in their homes, well, on the Passover, they were supposed to be then cut off from their people because they were not being obedient. And Jesus also warned his disciples about the leaven of the Pharisees. But so would Jesus then be referring to something evil in the kingdom of heaven, having influence that eventually influences the whole kingdom of heaven? Not likely. I think leaven is just being used as a metaphor of how insignificant that it may be relative to the whole loaf. But eventually, the whole loaf is affected by the small amount of yeast and leaven. And consider this, that with his birth and his ministry, Jesus ushered in a new era in the kingdom of God, but it didn't start big. When he began his public ministry, he declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And until that time, the Israelites had been waiting for this anointed one, Messiah, in Greek, Christos, to bring and inaugurate God's kingdom here on earth. But his ministry didn't start with this global impact that affected all of the kingdoms of the earth all at one time. Instead, Jesus' ministry, as many of you know, had very humble and seemingly insignificant beginnings. Where was he born? Well, first of all, he was born to a very ordinary young girl in a stable in an obscure village called Bethlehem. And he grew up in a small town in Galilee called Nazareth. But there were enough details about his birth that would indicate that he was this long-awaited Messiah who would bring and who would inaugurate God's kingdom here on earth. Take the announcement of the angels to Mary and Joseph, the miraculous conception, the fulfillment of many prophecies about Bethlehem and the visit of the Magi and the shepherds, even the fulfillment of prophecies about fleeing to Egypt and the massacre of the children. So although Jesus' ministry early on began to draw a crowd, sometimes even a large crowd, in the end he was followed only by a few men and a handful of women. At first, his miracles caused a great stir. Many came to be healed, and at times, you couldn't fit everyone in the building. And as they gathered, they would fill the hillside. But Jesus had only 12 men and a handful of women who at the end remained faithful to him, following his rejection by the religious authorities. And from those faithful followers, consider history that the others who saw his resurrection appearances, that the movement began there in Jerusalem has now become a global reality, a reality that has withstood many attempts to crush it, even a falling away from within that has hindered or stalled its growth. So as you and I consider the kingdom of heaven, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, don't be discouraged if our efforts begin small and if our influence may seem insignificant. Let us be content to simply share our faith with just one person at a time. To influence just one person within our sphere of influence at a time. I know there are many Christians who have shared their faith with so many people, and you could say that their influence over a lifetime is impressive and immeasurable. But even if you're not one of those Christians, don't think that you're insignificant. We have just one task 
when it comes to building the kingdom of God and being a witness for Jesus Christ. We can share our testimony of who Christ is and what he has done to one person at a time. And if a tiny mustard seed can grow into a tall tree, then our faith that we share with one other person who receives it can make a big difference in the world. We can enjoy being a small church. You know, sometimes success of a church or a ministry is measured by how large it is. I, I think it's because success is measured in business that way. That the more sales you have, the more employees you employ, then the more successful you are. And it's true that if an organism is healthy, it will grow. But size and numbers don't always mean healthy growth. Does the number of children you have in your family mean that the family relationships are healthy? Not necessarily. The fact that my body seems to be growing larger and larger, does it mean I'm healthier? Not necessarily. And it's okay that things, that churches or ministries may start small and may seem insignificant, and that growth is slow. And if you consider our church here with people leaving all the time, I can't imagine if everyone who's ever been through FIBC's doors would all gather at once, people that have come and then gone again. I think our influence will be more far-reaching than we would have ever guessed. It is pretty amazing that though people still keep leaving and our growth is very sh small, that the influence does spread worldwide. Of all those people that have been through these doors and ministered here at FIBC, they're scattered all over the world and we continue to desire to send people out as missionaries, not just because their company has suddenly moved them away, but to send them away as missionaries with the message of the kingdom. Because growth can be measured by more than just one area of growth. It can be numerically, sure. But what about spiritual maturity? And healthy disciples reproduce themselves. And healthy churches and ministries reproduce themselves. And the mustard seed does not grow into a tree in one day, and neither does maturity as a disciple happen in one day. The church does not grow to a large church overnight. So let's not also give up being a light in our world, even when society is breaking apart. You know, there are times when it seems like evil is growing so much faster than good. We see marriages, we see families, they're breaking apart, people are going in opposite directions. We see hate crimes on the rise. We see many instances of war and bloodshed, abductions, human trafficking. And we ask, why doesn't God do something about all of that? I love Matthew West's song, because he asks exactly that question. In the verse, he says, I woke up this morning, saw a world full of trouble now, I thought. How'd we ever get so far down, and how's it ever going to turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me. So I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? He said, I did. I created you. If not us, then who? If not me and you, right now it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when will we see an end to all this pain? A song by Matthew West. I recommend that you listen to it to also convict your heart. Because as the light of the world, we have to ask ourselves, where is the one dark place that we can shine? Sometimes it's just applying God's kingdom standards and rules 
as the best way that we can influence our community. The quality of our marriages and our families hopefully will be the envy of all those that we know because we live by biblical principles and kingdom standards. The standards in your office might be very different from what Christ demands of us, but you can influence the decision makers in your office. And our influence over other people comes with just one act of kindness at a time, done in the name of Christ. Because a little leaven eventually works its whole way through the loaf. And just a little bit of kindness can eventually work its way through a whole community. So what is the one act of kindness that you can do even today? Motivated by the love of Jesus Christ, perhaps you can let someone else go first or have the first choice. Because the scriptures say in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. I heard a story once that two people were trying to decide which piece they would eat. One piece was bigger than the other. So in humility, the one said, go ahead, you choose first. And the person said, okay, I choose the big piece. So his friend was kind of wondering, hmm, you know, if it had been me, I would have chosen the small piece. So he said that to his friend, you know, if it had been me, I would have chosen the small piece and let you have the big piece. And he said, I knew that you would do that, so that's why I took the big piece. <laughs> so let someone else go first or have the first choice. Or how about this, pick up someone else's trash or maybe some other duty or responsibility that they have neglected. Do that for them as an act of kindness. Because the scriptures say, in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. And how often it would be that we sometimes neglect a duty or responsibility that wouldn't we be thankful if someone else took it for us? Or let someone know, uh, know that their debt to you has been forgiven. Be kind and compassionate with one another, the scriptures say, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Never underestimate your influence. I have this great story. I don't know what happened to it. Oh no. I had it right here. Here it is. About a man named Edward Kimball. Does anyone know the name Edward Kimball? None of you have heard of it before, I'm sure. It was July 1st, 1885, when Edward Kimball decided to listen to the Lord's calling on his life. And all he had to do was simply share his faith with a young shoe salesman. He did share his faith, and that young shoe salesman prayed to receive Jesus Christ that day. And that young shoe salesman was Dwight L. Moody. How many of you know that name? Perhaps one of the greatest evangelists of his generation. Well, several years later, Dwight L. Moody was preaching and there was a pastor and author named Frederick B. Meyer who heard Moody preach. And Meyer was so deeply stirred by Moody's preaching, he himself then began an evangelistic ministry. And once when Meyer was preaching, there was a college student at present whose name was Wilbur Chapman. He accepted Christ as a result of that presentation of the gospel, and later, Wilbur Chapman employed a baseball player to help him prepare, conduct evangelical crusades. That ball player was Billy Sunday. How many of you know that name? He was also a powerful evangelist. 
Well, he was invited in 1924 to hold an evangelistic campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina. And that resulted in many people coming to Christ. And out of that revival, there was a group of men that formed a men's prayer group to pray for the world, and they prayed specifically for Charlotte to have a revival. Well, God answered that prayer. It was through another evangelist named Mordecai Ham. He went to Charlotte, North Carolina in 1934. The crusade went well, but there weren't many converts, but there was one tall and lanky young man who walked up to receive Christ that day, and his name was Billy Graham. How many of you know that name? And he's especially special to me because in July of 1985, my wife was at one of his crusades. She wasn't my wife then. But upon hearing him present the gospel, she too received Christ as her savior. So a hundred years between Edward, Edward Kimball and I'm grateful that he shared his faith because now my wife became a, a, a citizen of heaven. Never underestimate your influence. Listen to the other parables that Jesus has for us. Now in verse 44 of chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So a man finds a treasure, stumbles on it, hidden in a field, he chooses to hide it again so that he can then buy that field so that the treasure will belong to him. I ask you, who sells all that he has? Well, perhaps someone who knows he's about to die soon because he can't bring that with him anyway, right? Perhaps someone who knows he's moving somewhere that he can't take those items with them. You know, many people move across the country. Some live in countries with 110 volts and others with 220 volts. So as you're leaving the country of 110 volts, you decide, well, all of these appliances I've had, I can't use them anymore. So they sell them, right? Because you're going to go buy new some, uh, somewhere else anyway. Who else sells all that he has? Well, someone who needs money. And someone who knows that there's something much more valuable that he can buy by only selling or only by selling everything that he currently has. So this man's actions make absolute sense only because the treasure he found is worth more to him than everything else that he had owned. Notice especially that in this parable, the man gladly sells everything that would have been of any worth to him. Look at the next parable because the message is the same. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, it makes sense because the pearl is worth more to him than everything else he's owned. Jesus didn't interpret these parables either. And so sometimes there's been a variety of interpretations. Some believe that this parable is describing how God was willing to send his own, his own most precious son to find in us the treasure that we are. And some would say that Jesus is the one seeking us we who are his treasure, and he's willing to give up everything in order to purchase us as his own. But remember that in the one parable, the man wasn't even looking for treasure. He simply stumbled upon it, so I doubt that that's what this parable is about. And in both of them, one of the precious values is forever lost. It is sacrificed for the other. And Jesus, as you know, laid down his life only to take it up again. 
He set aside the glory of heaven, but he received it again. So I don't think that it's about Jesus finding in us the treasure that we are. I believe it's about us finding the treasure that the kingdom of heaven is. The person finds something very precious. It doesn't belong to him. He wasn't looking for it, but he has to buy the land so that now the treasure will belong to him. And then the other parable, the person was actively going about looking for a particular treasure. And when he had discovered it, the only way to buy it was to sell everything else that he had. So if the behavior of the man and the merchant is how it is with the kingdom of heaven, then it makes sense to give up everything that the world can offer only if we understand how precious the treasure of the kingdom of heaven is. See, the impression that many people have about following Christ, about entering the kingdom of heaven, is that you have to lose something of far greater value only to get something that isn't worth much. But this parable is for them. And it's for us to remind us how precious this treasure really is. See, most people see Christianity as simply a religion. It's filled with all kinds of rules that restrict you enjoying your life as you really ought to. Follow Christ, and then you can just say goodbye to your own dreams and desires. You have to give up everything that's good to have a life that is boring. Well, that's what this parable is about. And yes, I would agree that if you follow Jesus, you have to give him your full allegiance. Jesus did, after all, say, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. No one can serve two masters, Jesus told his disciples. You cannot serve both God and money. So yes, you have to give up something that's precious. And that is also why the rich man who came to Jesus left sad and sorrowful, because to him, his belongings, his riches here on earth were too precious for him. But we're also assured by Christ that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, Jesus says, or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. See, friends, this parable only makes sense if we truly understand the value of the kingdom of heaven and how anything that this world has to offer for us, all of its riches, even if we had it all, is worthless compared to the kingdom of heaven. Who doesn't want a great deal? I'm sure all of us do. What if we sat down together and I said, look, I'll buy, if you buy me this drink, then I'll buy drinks the rest of our time that we get together. Good deal, right? Wouldn't you do it? Some of you are like a little suspicious. What are we drinking? <laughs> or if I said to you, buy the shares in this company, because a year from now, they'll be 10 times worth. Uh, you're wondering, do you know anything about stocks? Do you know anything about companies? Do you know anything about the way things are? And if you did buy it, and the market began to tank, you'd be like, why did I listen to my pastor, right? What does he know about those kinds of things? So I realize it takes faith. You have to trust the one who's telling you these parables, that this is how it is with the kingdom of heaven, that even if you sold everything you had that was worth anything to you, 
just to buy this treasure, it is way worth it. Now, some would say, well, but the Bible says we have to suffer for Christ. Christ did say, all men will hate you because of me. Peter did remind the followers, if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God, because to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, you should follow in his steps. That's true, but remember too that whatever troubles we may experience, they pale in comparison to our future glory. Our light and momentary troubles, Paul says, and he had been through troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Friends, I know that obedience to Christ may be costly, but take Jesus' word for it. The blessings far outweigh the costs. There will be blessings on earth, yes, and I know that many people buy into this prosperity gospel as though we're promised all these riches here on earth. No, friends, we're promised riches that last forever in heaven. But yes, living a life in the kingdom of heaven on this earth will be better. And we can only imagine what it will be like in heaven. Yes, it may be difficult for you to forgive today. Someone who has perhaps cheated you of lots of money or perhaps hurt you in some way. But the reconciliation is worth it. It may be difficult for us to leave our home, but the new relationships are rewards in and of themselves. It may be difficult to love the unlovely, but then again, God brings about a change in us that we never thought was even possible. And it may also be difficult to commit a tenth of our income, but God will bless us in ways that you never imagined as we store up our treasures, not on earth where rusts and moth could destroy it, but in heaven. So think about whatever it is that the kingdom of heaven is offering is always a better deal. This parable makes sense only if we understand the treasure that the kingdom of heaven is. And when you know the value of the treasure you're about to obtain, then surrendering everything else that once seemed valuable is a no-brainer. It's a joy, just like in this parable. We're so excited about finally being able to have that which truly satisfies, that which really lasts forever, that will give us real pleasure and joy, not fleeting pleasure and joy. That's what these parables are about. First, the mustard seed and the leaven reminding us that a small and slow-growing entity does not mean that it's going to remain insignificant. And the treasure of the pearl and and this, uh, of the treasure and the pearl of great price reminds us that God's kingdom is worth far more than everything else we may have thought was precious. And God's kingdom may start small, but it will have great influence, and being part of it is better than anything else this world has to offer. Now tell that to your friends and convince them to become a citizen of heaven. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for revealing the truth to us. And we acknowledge today that it requires faith because we can't always see what the kingdom of heaven has in store for us. 
But that is what faith is, Lord, that we believe even without seeing. We thank you for the promises that you've given us that we can cling to, especially in those difficult and dark times. Lord, you have never failed on any one of your promises. Forgive us when for some reason we think that it's still possible for you to fail. I pray, Lord, that if anyone here has not yet received this treasure of the kingdom of heaven by receiving Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today they're convinced to take that step, that they would set aside their own desires and their own will, their own life, to receive eternal life, to receive that which truly lasts and gives joy and pleasure. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.